Let my heart want for nothing, sing it, but you, just you. Let my heart want for nothing, but you, just you. The riches of this world could never satisfy. Let my heart want for only you. That's not a bad prayer. How many have had a lot and you felt like you had nothing? How many have been well-liked, but yet when you, your head hit the pillow, you felt empty, like no one knew you? The quest to the good life is not the path you and I would by nature choose. Amen. I love a quote by famous actor Jim Carrey. He says, I wish everyone in the world could earn all the money in the world to understand that it will not satisfy or make you happy. He's probably a multi-hundred millionaire. I don't know. Just empty, empty, empty. And we're in a series on hearing the voice of Jesus inviting us to find life directly from him. We hear the voice of Jesus throughout this series on being yoked with him of the one who bids us come. Everyone say come. And I, I said this probably several months ago, but the, the perpetual posture of God is one of come to me. Come to me. Isn't it amazing that nothing you and I are carrying, nothing that you and I are facing, nothing that you and I could do or ever have done changes his orientation toward us, which is just come to me. Turn to your neighbor and say, come to me. I mean, come to him. And so let's just read this passage. If you can uh, switch the stage display for me, Justin, brother, and there we go. Let's read this out loud on the screens together. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can we just pray together? Lord, we ask that you would just come by your spirit and be our teacher, that you would, Holy Spirit, Escort us into the very heart and mind and goodness of God. Open the word to us and let it open us and then fill our lives with your passion, with your power, with your purity. And may we, Lord, this week learn a little bit more of what it means to do life with Jesus. If you agree with that prayer, can you say amen? This invitation in particular, part three, is a, a lifelong invitation. Um, there we go. Oh. It's a lifelong invitation to what? Come to, rest in, learn from, and rely on Jesus. Come to, rest in, learn from, and rely on Jesus. How many think we ever graduate from this class? 
The Bible calls the one who responds wholeheartedly to this invitation of Jesus a disciple. Everyone say disciple. It's a big, huge, important concept. It's used just 299 times in the New Testament. That's it. So it's probably a decent idea to, ha- to grapple with disciple. That's weird. We don't really live in that culture of sort of master. But uh, think of it as like a master in a trade and an apprentice. Someone that you want to go learn from, not because they have all the book smarts, although they are smart, but they have real life experience. And we are called to become apprentices or lifelong students of Jesus. Not a bad gig to learn how to live life from the one who is life itself. So let's read this on the screen together. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Do you really mean that, Jesus? Who believes Jesus is just joking in this passage? Or that if we'll allow him to train us as we say yes to his yoke, that you and I, our lives can increasingly begin to resemble and reflect the very life of Jesus. Did you know that's what you signed up for? You did not bow your head, pray a prayer so you can get the heck out of here someday and you can just live how you want your whole life. When you said yes to Jesus, Jesus took your yes seriously, and now he wants to transform your life so that you reflect and resemble his very life. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. I love this. Remember the the famous WWJD? Who still got a bracelet? They kind of made a comeback. The bummer is that whole campaign kind of treats Jesus as this entity out there. What would he do? But here's a better acronym. I'm going to coin it. It's not as sharp or pretty looking, but it should be WWJDIHWM. Because how many know Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but it's not just what would he do as if he does his thing on the earth apart from us. It's what would he do if he was me? Are you tracking with me? This is the invitation to be yoked to Jesus. What would he do if he were me, if he were married to my, the spouse that I am? If he had the employer that I had? Oh, come on. So, hey, easy. <laughs> If he had the annoying relative that I did. Am I talking to anyone? Fourth of July, wishing there was more of an accident? No. That wasn't in the notes. The notes are anointed. I'm going to stay on the notes. But a way better question, the WWJD, he's outside. No, how many know he's living on the inside of you by the Holy Spirit? He... It's not what would he do, it's what is he doing right now in and through my life and through my life. Did you know you're called the body of Christ? Let me see your finger. You are his hands and his feet. Last week we looked at the very first lesson that we're learning from Jesus. I I made the argument, I didn't get any grumpy emails, praise God, so maybe y'all agreed, maybe you didn't. But the first lesson Jesus wanted to teach us is that we have a loving father. 
How many know we have a loving Father? And we, we, we unpacked it all last week. You can check it out. Uh, this gives us a sense of identity, worth, and value. It gives us a sense of significance and purpose, provision and protection, and then my, one of my personal favorites, being delighted in. Did you know that you have a Father that delights in you? He's not like, I just tolerate that knucklehead Chad. I love him, warts, wrinkles, and all. How many are thankful a Father in heaven loves us and knows all about us and loves us and delights over us all the same? So, because I know God is my Father, because I'm yoked to Jesus, I don't have to go chasing a bunch of rabbit trails for all of those things that the human heart craves. I have received them in Jesus, and I can delight and bask in them because I have a Father who's for me. Amen. So what's the second lesson? The road to learning from Jesus about how to do life with Jesus is often filled with challenges, opposition, adversity, setbacks, and suffering. I'm sorry, but I want to tell you the truth today. How many would agree with this statement that it is not all that easy learning how to do life the Jesus way? Or how many, when you got saved, all of your problems just evaporated? You've never had a bad, grumpy day, sad day since. Remember, we're learning from who? Easy Sunday school answer. A little louder. Thank you, someone. We're learning from Jesus. And so as I was reflecting all week, again, obviously on our anchor passage in Matthew 11, I'm like, well, what did Jesus, did Jesus learn stuff? How many think Jesus learned stuff when he lived? And then I found this passage that's incredible. This is where we're going to hang the whole rest of our message. The second lesson we're going to have to learn outside of him, we have a father that provides all of that amazing identity, significance, worth, value, purpose, being delighted in, security, provision. Oh, praise God. But then Jesus is like, hey, My yoke is easy and my burden is light because I'm with you, but the road at times can be quite steep, difficult, windy, topsy-turvy. But if you stick it out with me, you'll overcome to the end and your faith will be more worthwhile than the highest market of gold. So here's the passage. Oh, man, what a passage. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of what? His reverent submission. Even though he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So we see a couple things here. Number one, We're yoked with Jesus, so who are we learning from? We're learning from his life and his ministry, his example, his word. We learn from his body, those who bear his name, the friends in the pew next to you. But the passage kicks us off with maybe the most important lesson we can learn from Jesus in light of the road being difficult, and that is this, that Jesus prayed a lot. Do you buy it? He just was always talking and relating to and communing with his father. So for all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect communion and relationship and friendship. And then the little blip where Jesus 
broke into time and space, became a human being, the Word became flesh, and then all we see Jesus doing while he's on the earth as one of us is talking to the Father. He would get up early. He went to deserted places, not dessert places. I almost misspelled it. Desolate places. He would stay up all night when he knew there was a big choice that was coming because he wanted to get the heart of his dad. And he had designated places, the the Mount of Olives. uh, He had places of regularity that he would revisit and talk to the Father. And, 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 And obviously you and I all know that the only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them was to what? To preach, to prophesy, to heal. Jesus, teach us to pray. The implication is the manifestation of Jesus' public ministry was a direct corollary with his private life and the intimacy and friendship he cultivated with his father. Do you believe it? How come Jesus teaches to pray if that lifestyle that we see you living is a direct result of you living and moving and having your being in relationship and perfect communion with the Father, we want to know how to relate to God like you do. So therefore, prayer at the end of the day is about two things. What is it? It's about relationship. Everyone say relationship. Knowing a person. How many know we have a God and Father who knows what we need before we even enter into that throne room asking for grace and mercy? If you believe it, say amen. So prayer cannot just be a transactional reality. I need this. Please give it to me. How many know he gives us what we need? Praise God. But it's not just about the transaction. It's about the relationship. We come into the place of, with all of our worry, anxiety, and God, I'm letting he just like... Good to see you too. I'm, gl- I'm glad you turned your heart to me. I love when you turn your heart to me. Oh, I know about all that stuff. I'm not aloof. I'm not blind. I'm not sleeping. I'm not checked out. But thanks for turning your attention and affection to me. Everyone say relationship. Relationship. And then it's about what we see, partnership. Everyone say partnership. So as I learn to relate to him, He transforms me. I see what he sees, hear what he's saying. I see what he's doing through his word, by his spirit, anchored in his truth. And then he's all, all right, let's partner. Relationship and partnership. That's that's the life of prayer, the lifestyle of prayer. He's always with me, and I can't wait to partner with him today. Are you tracking with me? The passage in Hebrews says that Jesus knew that he was heard. So he lives a lifestyle of prayer, an extreme lifestyle of prayer with tears. And how many know it's okay however you pray? The point is that you pray, that you relate to the Father. So whether you're broken, you're happy, sad, mad, glad, you've got little or you've got lot, talk to the Father. Amen. Do not allow anything you're facing, you're carrying to disqualify you from the perpetual invitation of the Father, which has come to me. I want to hear your heart today. And then I want want you to hear my heart. But Jesus knew that he was heard. How many would like to know that God heard every one of your prayers? Raise your hand if you think that'd be a pretty sweet scenario. Is it possible? Not a trick question. I'm convinced Jesus knew he was heard 
because he knew what he was about. He knew he was heard because he knew what he, what, what he, what, who, who he was and what he was about. Read this passage with me. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This lifestyle, this not my will, yours be done, Jesus can say later outside of the, the, the rotting carcass of, of his friend Lazarus, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Whoa. How about this little promise? Not a bad promise. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Whoa, 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 whoa. And if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. At first, this passage is a little bit counterintuitive. If Jesus knew that God, his father, heard him, wouldn't, why all the tears, the crying, the adversity, and anguish? How many know there's a pretty predominant, prevailing, strong headwind out there that bears the resemblance of Christianity that promises you a life of ease, of bigger, of better, of brighter, of stronger, of fitter, of longer, of shinier, but it's super hard to find that in the life and ministry of Jesus, certainly in the life and the ministry of the 13, the 12 apostles, including Paul, all gave their life for the gospel to, you know, the seed of the church. How many know that it's counterintuitive if God was with me, then why am I going through difficulties? Has anyone thought about that themselves? <laughs> Are we going to be honest with each other? If he heard me, then why? We think if God was with us, why is this long and difficult, challenging road? Why won't that person just get out of my life and get out of my way? Why is this addiction, this Broken is so hard to grapple with and overcome. Why? Are you tracking with me? The passage is counterintuitive. He, he, he knew he was heard. He cried out. He prayed. But so much in our mindset, especially in our Western individual, me focused, everything is about me, 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 me. We think, God, when the going gets tough, did you get going or did something get off the track here? And this lesson that we're talking about today is so important because so many people grow offended at God because they're holding God to a standard that God did not draft or design. God, if I this, 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 now he is God, you are not, that is the scenario. And that's a really good scenario. He has a higher perspective than you and I. Isaiah 55 says what? His thoughts are... And his ways are than ours, greater, higher. He sees the end from the beginning. But we've got to learn this lesson that following Jesus, we will inevitably come against opposition, adversity, struggling, even suffering. And it's what we do in that place that usually propels us towards one of two paths. Offense, complacency, grumbling, and even eventually maybe apostasy where you just lose faith or greater work of grace, greater work of purity of your faith and your heart, more resolve that he who promises faithful, he has not fallen off of his throne. He's able to finish what he started in my life. It's usually one of those two paths. And so many people get derailed when, but I thought if I trusted, he would. And Jesus says, just follow me. I'm with you. He was heard because of his reverent submission. He was heard because he was submitted to the Father. 
Three things, and I want you to get this in your spirit. He was submitted to a father who was good. Everyone say the father is good. There's a sequence here. And then he had total confidence. This is why he would get up early every morning. And he would go off. He knew that his father would guide. Everyone say the father will guide. One more time. The father will guide. So he's good, and out of his goodness, he guides us. Come on, someone say amen. And then out of that place, the deep work of his goodness and his love and his guidance produces a lifestyle. The Father being glorified is the reason that I live, the aim of my entire life. This is where Jesus takes the cake. Every breath, every step was for the express purpose of Father being glorified in and through his life. I didn't come to do my will, but his. Even in the hour of his greatest suffering, in the dawn of the cross, the shadow of the cross, Father, should I say, save me from this hour? No. What is his prayer? Glorify your name, Father. When Jesus is in the most intense prayer session of his life, in the Garden of Gethsemane, (laughs) anguish beyond anything we can comprehend or imagine, here's his orientation. Father, if it's possible, May this cup be taken from me, but yet not as I will, but what? As you will. We know that he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now here's what's so amazing. Jesus lived a lifestyle of prayer, relating and partnering. But he was heard because of his submission. But how many know, even Jesus prayed a prayer that started out on a certain path of desire and hope, but he still submitted to the Father that had a better, higher, greater purpose and idea and ideal for for his life. Look at that. If it's possible, I just want you to know, I'm trying to set you up for success. Many of us can get offended by God because we're like, God, I prayed for one thing, but something else happened. How many know when the Father says no, it's as good as him saying yes because it's still evidence of his direction and guidance and covering over your life? What was the Father's answer to Jesus' prayer in the garden? No. And I want you to have a faith that when a no comes from a father, it doesn't gut you and derail you. It causes you, it says in the Bible, he goes back and prays the same prayer three times. I want want that to provoke you to say, I'm going to go deeper into his heart. Maybe I asked, but now it's time to seek. Maybe I sought, but now it's time to knock. And I'm going to keep doing it until I know the heart of my father for this situation, for this relationship that's broken, for this breakthrough that needs to happen at work, for my wayward son or daughter. I'm going to press in because I know the father will hear me if I submit to him out of reverence and awe. When we know that the Father hears us, we're ready for the second lesson from the passage. You gotta know that he's good, that, he's, that he will guide, and that living for his glory is why you were made. Although he was a son, he learned, everyone say learned. He learned obedience through what he suffered. I already said it, Jesus was a learner. He was a learner. If he learned, you think you and I have a little bit to catch up with. We will never learn if we do not have the first lesson down that God is good, a good father, and that he hears our prayer. Why? Because when adversity or difficulty or suffering or tragedy strikes, we will think God is distant, that we are orphans, something's wrong with us, or worse, something's wrong with God. And unless we know that I have a good father who is guiding my life, he's guiding all of creation. 
unless I know that he will be glorified in and through my life as I submit to him in the mystery and the angst and the anguish and all of the uncertainties, if I don't have that lesson burning on in my spirit, then it's going to be really easy when the road gets hard to lose faith, to lose out, and to start looking down instead of fixing my eyes on the one who promised and still bids me come, even in the complexity, the, the adversity, the suffering, and the mystery. How many of you know there's a God who says, just come to me in the midst of your mess in the midst of the mystery don't lose heart don't look down don't turn to navel gazing just keep your eyes fixed upon me uh and and we all know how, how do we really learn do we think do we learn in a classroom uh there's a learning theory that says we adults learn 70 percent by doing 20% by doing with a coach or mentor to give you immediate feedback on how you're doing. We learn 10%. We retain 10% from what we hear in a sermon like this. But let me show you how insidious this is. My, one of my spiritual fathers, Hal Perkins, always says this. We decently do the teaching thing in the church. But we do not train and we certainly don't test. If you agree, kind of say amen, even if that stung a little. He's saying, Chad, we have more content than any history of the age, but where are those learning labs where we're, we're training in righteousness, we're training in character development, we're training in not letting any vile thing cross my eyes, we're training in living a generous lifestyle, we're training in loving mercy, walking humbly, doing justly with our God, with others. We have someone to be in the test with us, and when it's difficult, we've got someone to say, how'd I do? Not so good. Let's pray. Let's do it better next time. But we've just, and here's the bummer, because it's so easy just in this spectator kind of consumer, uh, you know, platform and pew, it's so easy to grade services. Oh, that was a good sermon. I like the song. Instead, how many know he was never looking for a grade? He was looking for you to receive the teaching, to train in it all week, and then to test to see if it's good and allow the spirit to, to, br to bring that word to bear in and through your life. We've got to train and we've got to test. I love this. The reality is because he says he learned from what he suffered. My, my little daughter, Mackenzie, is the princess of the house. Uh, I remember when she first start, started to learn to ride bikes, she's got a lot of older friends. And our neighbor is an older, a, a little girl, little Madeline, beautiful girl. And Madeline, it was a little bit better riding her bike because she was older. You know what I'm talking about? And so, obviously, little kids, they love to show each other up. My daughter's very competitive, just like her mom. <laughs> I know. She's not in here. She's in the nursery right now. Um, but, but, but so Madeline was doing all these tricks, you know, taking one hand off. And I'm like, you just learned how to ride a bike, dude. Quit it. <laughs> And then she saw Madeline doing stuff with her feet. And so I'm riding with my daughter, and she, she didn't read a book on bike riding. I mean, she's riding, and she decides to put her feet out in front of her bike. Do you think she learned... You probably ought not do that. Because when you see that passage, he was a son, but he learned 
obedience through what he suffered, how else do you learn? How else do you know if you know something unless it's tested? Unless there's an opposing wind or opposition and then you're forced to at a fork in the road to go, am I going to bank on this, build my life on it or not? Amen. I could, we could sit and tell stories the rest of the afternoon on the lessons you've learned when there was pain. Am I talking to anyone today? I'm not saying God wishes that pain, that suffering, that sorrow on you. I'm just saying he didn't abandon you in it. He's with you and he can teach you if you'll let him in the midst of a broken world. And a father who is bent on remaking it in and through his son and through his church partnering with his son in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not absent from it or aside from it. He's inside of it with you, beside you, if you'll look to him and get his heart in perspective in the midst of your grind. It's the only way we learn. So what are we learning? Say it with me. Obedience. I love this phrase I was toying with this week. Read it with me. Obedience opens the door to God's kingdom and welcomes his rule and reign his will and way into our world. So when God is, uh, is, in, is on his throne, the Father and the Son, the Spirit's moving like crazy wild all over the planet, drawing people to the Son, empowering the church for, to, to, to walk in the, the, the fullness of the Spirit and the, the kingdom lifestyle. But every time God finds someone who, even in the mystery or the pain or the adversity, but keeps that posture of not my wills, but yours be done, I don't get it, but you get it, and you've got me, so I'm going to trust you. Obedience keeps the door open for God's kingdom to break into a situation. Obedience does. It's just like, it's a posture of, I don't get it, but I just want your realm to, at any moment of my life, even when I'm at my lowest, loud cries and tears and anguish and adversity, but if my heart keeps that yes by your spirit, then the kingdom can come at any moment in and through my situation if I don't lose heart and keep my eyes on you. Someone say, obedience keeps the door open. We learn from what we suffer. We learn on the field, on the job, in the reality of the day-to-day grind. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's on the field that the greatest lessons are learned. My wife's a personal trainer. She tells me, Chad, maybe you should do more than run. You need to lift weights. And I tell her, girl... Catch me if you can. I'll keep running. I am starting to do push-ups again. You're welcome. Because how do you build muscle? Come on. It's work. It's resistance. And unless you and I get the heart of God being yoked to Jesus, that the suffering, the trial, that at the end of the day, it's not woe is me, it's wow is he, Lord, do a deeper work in me as I walk through this valley. It's the only way we grow. But here's what's awesome. In the midst of it, he promises us rest because it's about the relationship at the end of the day. Learn from me. The road can be steep. Learn from me. You can still live out of rest, even in the wrestling. The coolest thing is that Jesus has made a way. This is the third and final point of the message. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became, someone say he became. 
he became the source. (laughs) He became the source of eternal salvation for all who, what? Obey him. So he, he was heard, he learned, he became. And how many know that as we are yoked with Jesus, our world is desperate to see a church and a group of people who can become a source of hope and life, who don't get critical and complain and blame and nasal gave and woe is me when the difficulty comes, but we'll shock them to life by seeing how have you become what you've become. Well, Jesus became it first. I'm just following him. He became the source of eternal salvation. Salvation does not just have to do with your future. Salvation has to do with your current situation. It's eternal. Beginning now, on into the age to come with no shelf life. I mean, no expiration date. You know what I'm saying. Get over it. Because of his obedience, he became the source of our salvation. Our pain is not the end. Our suffering is not the end. Our tears are not the end. Our brokenness is not the end. Our sorrow is not the end. I'm learning how to live life with Jesus. He was a man of sorrows. He cried tears. He had more anguish than we'll ever comprehend. And I'm learning from him that it's okay to have pain. It's okay to cry. But how many know that none of that is the end of the story? Read this with me. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. The good news of yoked part three, we know he's our father, he hears us, we're submitted, he's good, he'll guide, and it's about his glory. He hasn't abandoned you in your pain. I know it can feel like it, but let me get to the end of the message and you'll have hope. Here we go. Just to remind ourselves, read this with me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I I just love this phrase the Lord dropped in my heart yesterday. When things don't appear to change around us, the grace of God is working something beautiful in us that is more precious than gold. Just believe, just say, God, I know you're doing something in me in the midst of this wrestle. God, I know you're doing something in me in the delayed answer. I know you're doing something with me in the, in the pain and the adversity. I'm not saying, Father, that you caused it, but it sure didn't take you by surprise. And I'm going to stay yoked to Jesus. I'm going to keep my confidence and my hope squarely fixed upon him. And you're able to bring life even out of this situation that seems like death, despair, and darkness. He's with you. Goodness, I'm glad we serve a God that enters into our pain and suffering, doesn't hang out in white, shiny palaces and say, get all your stuff together and then come have a talk. How many are thankful for the glory of the gospel so we don't lose heart? We don't say that. We don't lose heart. Come on, say it. We don't lose heart. Our outer nature may be wasting away, but if we're yoked to Jesus, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Come on. 
Suffering is not final. Salvation is. I love this phrase. I just combined a bunch of passages in one sentence. So sorry. Jesus has borne our suffering, was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, wounded for our wholeness, despised and rejected for our acceptance and significance, paid the penalty for our debts and redeemed us from the curse of sin and death. That's what Jesus did for He became the source so that you and I, no matter the battle that we face or the, uh, the, the incline of the, of the journey or the darkness or the depth of darkness of the valley, Jesus has made a way and he became a source for you and for me. And he is yoked with us even in those seasons. Goodness. So remember three things. When the going gets tough, here are three things it's easy for us to do, but there's a counter. How many are thankful? We are tested in all sorts of manners, but God in Christ is faithful. He will provide a way in and through every single test. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you, or testing has seized you, except for that which is common to man, but he is faithful. He'll provide a way through it. But here's three things we can do in the midst of the grind if we're not careful. And it's in the book of Hebrews. Thank you, whoever wrote it. We got to pay attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. When you're in a season of striving and struggling and difficulty and suffering, I'm not belittling it or giving you a cutesy answer. But here's the first lesson. It's easy to drift because you're offended or distracted. You can't afford to drift from your confidence in Jesus. Let me get there. First, don't drift from your hope in the sufficiency that he is all that you need and the supremacy. He is over everything I'm facing. How many, how many have ever experienced a season of drifting and it costs you until you realize, whoa, wake up, it's time to return? How many know it is easy to drift? Raise your hand if it's easy to drift from your confident hope, but you don't have to drift. You stay yoked to Jesus. Number one, someone say don't drift. Don't drift. Don't drift. Drifting leads us to point number two. This is what can happen in our life. In the midst of the difficulty and the grind and the suffering, it's, it can happen to any of us. How can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Once we drift, we lose sight of his sufficiency and supremacy, and then we stop believing the, the good news of, this, of the gospel. Amen. So second lesson don't neglect the full reality of salvation, being saved, healed, delivered, set free, made new, which is available to all people in and through Jesus Christ currently, right here and right now. Drifting leads to neglect. Do you see the difference? This is a hard road. Oh, it's super difficult. And before you've drifted so long, now you've neglected and you stopped even just believing in the things that Jesus said he could do, which is to save, heal, set free, and deliver it's easy that drifting can lead to neglecting. And so this is why I love this, this admonition. Don't receive God's grace in vain. Today is the day of salvation. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Everyone say, don't drift. Don't neglect. And then third point. Don't isolate. Oh. Do you know how the devil works? Drifting, 
neglecting, isolating. Has anyone ever been, been there besides me? Drifting, neglecting. Oh boy, I'm, I'm all alone. We need each other. Especially when the road is hard. And the devil's the one who says, you've got to figure this out on your own. Don't listen to him. The devil's the one who says, your faith community won't accept you because of what you're wrestling with and going through. And so why don't you just go, you and me, figure this out. Don't listen to him. Do you hear me? Whatever you're struggling with, wrestling through, the implications of what it could mean for your life, the, the pain or the anguish, the tears, the sorrow, do not listen to the one who says, oh, just go figure it out on your own. We can't neglect meeting to, with each other. How many know we need each other? We need to be provoked by each other to stay in love, to stay devoted to goodness. How many know that when my faith is fleeting, I need to be with someone in a room, in a context whose faith is sturdy to help me in my fleeting moment? <laughs> How many know when I'm wanting to isolate, I need a friend, a brother or a sister who will chase me down and say, don't isolate. Don't do it. I need you and you need me and we need him. So let's just be needy together. Don't drift, don't neglect, and don't journey alone. I know this message can be tricky, but I just want to be a guy who will preach the word and help people. It's not always easy. It's difficult. But you don't have to get derailed in the difficulty. You can stand and stay yoked. And Jesus can do a work in you that he could not do in you aside from what you're going through. And him being able to leverage it, to breathe new life in it, to find a path in and through it. Not because he caused it, not because he's mean or sadistic or grumpy or he's out to get you. He just knows that his world is broken, but he doesn't stay back from our brokenness. He sent his son into the world so that brokenness can become something beautiful through his redemptive love and grace. I don't know what you're facing. I just know you don't have to face it alone. And that's the good news of being yoked with Jesus. He's always with you. His name was Emmanuel in Matthew chapter 1, and he is the God who was with you in Matthew 28, 20. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he will never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6 through 8. I don't know how you need to respond. Maybe you went down that path of being offended by God. It happens to all of us. But God, I thought, if I, I thought it would be different. Man, how many have had that conversation? I thought if I trusted you, it'd look different. <laughs> the Lord in that season wants to say, regardless of what you thought it would look like, the only thing you really have control over is who you're looking to. And it's not so much what it will look like, it's what you are becoming and will look like as I transform you by my grace. Yeah. 
I'm forming you. I'm with you in the fire. I'm with you in the struggle. I'm with you in the wrestle. Don't lose heart. Don't drift. Don't neglect and don't isolate. Press in. Reach out. Reach up. He's with you. He's for you. Suffering is not the end. Say it with me. Suffering is not the end. Salvation is. I saw an unbelievable picture, and this is my last thought. (laughs) I don't don't think he meant it like that. If you need to go potty, it's right there. Um, I love Paul. I saw the picture, uh, uh, one of my heroes in the faith, a guy called Robbie Dawkins. He's a wild Jesus man, global leader. Um, He ministers a lot in Iran, in countries you would not want to go to, probably. Maybe you're crazy. And you just know that, anyway, you're not crazy. You're obedient. But he ministers in Iran. I mean, amazing ministry. That's ha- How many know it's one of the fastest growing countries in the, in the world of people coming to faith? I've seen so many cool photos of, of just swimming pools lined up for baptism. Swimming pools. Swimming. They need more water. But Robbie posted on Instagram a picture of an Iranian brother who received 80 lashes on his back because he took communion. It's a picture of his perpetrators. And then Robbie, I guess, got to interview him because he said, and he said he would take it again. You know, and it's, it's, I'm not one of those pastors or guys, because you can, there's people like this. You just want you to feel guilty for living in America in the West, and it's, I'm not that guy. But when I read stories like that, it does something to me. I'm thankful where I, I'm thankful, I'm grateful, but I don't want to be ignorant of what others, so when I'm talking about suffering here, I'm not trivializing what you're facing. If you agree, say amen. I'm not saying it's easy that he left you or that he did this or she didn't do that, or I'm just saying there's one who is in the battle with you in your suffering. He's with you when you're getting lashed for taking the body and the blood. And all I can say is that you stay yoked with Jesus. Your suffering is not the end salvation is. And he's with you and he's for you. And the Father is good. He'll guide you. And he wants to be glorified in and through your life. But because we live in a broken world, that road will be steep, difficult, arduous. But there's one who walks with us. So you don't have to be gutted by it. You can be held by him. And we can make it together. All in favor say aye. Get up on your feet. Let me bless this. Kevin, why don't you just come up and just noodle on the guitar, Kevin, or the keys, or just come on up, man. I, I, I do want ministry time, because um, I know some of you are suffering. You're going through it, and I'm not belitt- I want you to. I don't want you to drift, neglect, or do it alone, and that's why we gather corporately, to be reminded that we're not alone. Amen. And so if you are just being pulled at, if you're just in that thin space of, I, I am yoked to him, I am learning from him, but it's hard. And you need someone to come carry that burden with you. Did you know that Galatians 6, 2 says, when we carry each other's burdens, we're actually fulfilling the law of Christ, the law of love. So maybe you need to be carried this morning by Jesus. And you know how Jesus carries you sometimes? He activates and mobilizes his church to carry you. So if you need prayer, if you need ministry, if you need someone just to be with you in the midst of the grind, in the midst of your difficulty, can you just come right now? 
as Kevin plays and noodles around, just come on up. I just want, if you need any prayer this morning, just come on up right now. Anyone facing something that's just impossible. Maybe I can have the prayer team come on up, the ministry team, because you're not coming up here alone. It's not a walk of shame. Good grief. If today you need, you would, you would benefit from someone ministering to you in the name of Jesus. Father, I just pray today that you would draw your church to yourself. I pray, God, that we wouldn't drift, that we, in our discouragement, we wouldn't neglect. And that, Lord, we would resist the lie to isolate and to try to do it alone. And so, Holy Spirit, minister to your church this morning. Draw us to the very arms of God. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. What we'll do is if you just want to stay in God's presence, you can. If you need to go, I understand. But if you want someone, we're trying to establish a culture that it's not the weak who come forward. It's those who are real enough to say, dude, I can't, but he can. Amen. So, Lord, draw us to yourself. If you need to go, you can leave reverently. I love you guys. Bless you.